Hey, welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. In this episode, we have David Chen. And David has, once again, an unconventional entry into the esports market, but someone who's extremely passionate. And after listening to some of his own podcasts myself, after discovering him on social media, I just knew straight away he really was a person that I needed to get on board here. So David was a previous partner at Deloitte in Mexico, looking after a lot of Asian business over there. And currently today, he's the president of the North American Collegiate League and also an investor in FaZe Clan. This podcast is a little different, I guess, to a lot of the previous ones. I've always tried to stay away a whole lot from doing this sort of personal development and business development. But in this one, I mean, David talks about it so much in his podcast, I had to ask him a few questions. I learn a lot. Hopefully you learn something or at least enjoy yourself too. Enjoy. For those of you who have also lost your employment or are looking to skill up, we're trying to help here at Big Esports. We have an esports fundamentals course, which is helping people to understand an entry point into the employment within the esports and gaming market, whether you're coming straight out of college, university, high school, or whether you're trying to transition from another sport. To provide support for all of you, we're offering a pay-as-you-feel model. So you can head to bigesports.gg forward slash education. If you've lost your main line of employment and you can't afford to pay right now at all, that's perfectly fine. We're able to offer it up to you for free. You can pay now, you can pay later, you can choose whatever you want. The course is usually $127 AUD. You can take it now for whatever you feel is appropriate or whatever you're able to afford. Hopefully, this will help a few of you get back on your feet in the short term and also the long term. Likewise, it's Thank funny. We, we talked about this in our first call we had together like a few days ago because I binged your whole podcast, like all 27 plus episodes in probably three or four days. And it's funny that I feel like I know you so much when, you know, we never even really talked before. So I feel like some sort of weird stalker. No, not at all. I mean, you know, it, it's a blessing if you listen to all 27 episodes. That definitely means a lot to me. It motivates me a little bit more to, uh, create more content and, and try to do things. So it's a big honor that you did that. And it's good to know that you didn't get uh, bored in, in between the 27 episodes. So uh, thank yeah. you so much. It, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And I think the important feedback from me to you is that I, I pretty much skipped nothing. I think I skipped half an episode with one person because it was quite similar to another one, just talking about general personal development and stuff that I already kind of have unlocked through other podcasts to listen to. But besides that, I listen to them all start to finish. And for anyone watching, like, it's the best to do while you're running or doing some sort of exercise because it's almost like a hack. Like you can get through your exercise so much quicker because you're concentrating on the podcast more than you are on, you know, the pain that you're enduring. So it makes things pretty easy. I appreciate that. Thank you. It means, means the world to me, my man. All right, Ben. So we've, uh, we've got a lot to cover today. There's a lot we can talk about. But can you just give everyone a bit of an intro as to yourself? You've obviously had a very non-traditional entry into the esports market. So I'd love for you to explain a bit about it. Yeah. So, you know, I, I started my life, I was born in Taipei, Taiwan, came to the United States when I was about two or three years old, really lived the, what you would call the American dream. Um, what's interesting is I was one of the youngest managing partners at Deloitte. I ran their Chinese and Korean division for the Americas. Uh, we had about 82% of the marketplace. I started it in 2005. By the time I left in 2015, that 82% was big. Some of our biggest clients included you know, ICBC, which is five times the size of Bank of America that we helped bring into the region, uh, Kia Motors was another big one. Lenovo during the merger when they were trying to buy IBM. Uh, some some really amazing clients and, and opportunities. So I did that at Deloitte and I did that for 10 years and I made partner in seven. And we did so well that my manager at the time is the current minister of economy for Mexico and China. And yeah. that was kind of an important part. 
we, you know, we acquired several commercial boards and we spoke in front of presidents, a lot of different presidents and government people really trying to do economic growth and stimulus. So my background was there. And then in 2015, I joined my first private equity firm called BLCP. And we focused on three major emerging market areas. One was we were doing REITs, the other was in cannabis, and the other one was we were representing uh, the Fosun Group at the time to try to buy a percentage of the Memphis Grizzlies on a buy side agreement, which is abnormal. And they ended up buying the English Premier League Wolfhamptons. And of course, at the time, Bomber came about the Clippers and the valuations kind of went crazy. So that's where I was. And then I joined a cryptocurrency blockchain company where we were, I was there for a year and a half. We raised a good amount of money. We did blockchain, crypto. We bid it on Prince Hamden's 2020 initiative with the UAE. Almost won it, lost it to Ethereum ultimately, but that's okay. We did great um, as a small company. And then started GTIF Capital, where we did private equity. So I sit on seven uh, different advisory boards and things of like that. And then about two years ago, a good friend of mine, Clinton, who was a guest of yours, came in and we had a 10-year relationship spanning from the bar industry and the club industry. That's what I did on the side while being a Deloitte partner. So that's a whole different, interesting story. Mm-hmm. Maintained friendships for 10 years. He asked me one day if I wanted to invest into phase. My answer was immediately yes. And then, you know, from there, the, the rest is history. Then we started, you know, NACL and, and kind of worked from there. But I truly believe in the space. And I truly believe in what we're doing in the space. You know, one thing that, that just clicked for me that I think is pretty funny is that you seem to have been successful in every buzzword. I heard cannabis, I heard blockchain, and now I've heard esports. How, how does it feel being the, being the uh, I don't even know what to call it, but it's like the buzzword man, the buzzword success story. I, I, I wouldn't really necessarily consider it success, and I appreciate it. I think emerging markets is, is, is such a great opportunity to really kind of explore and grow your networks and really help shape the dynamics of that market. But at the same time, it comes with a lot of criticisms and, and misunderstandings. Like when you talk about esports, talk about sponsors, the hardest thing is they don't even understand it. It's, it's better if they had a kid in there and you could talk to their kid because the kid would be like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing in the world. But I, I pride myself in being part of the emerging markets because it, it does matter to me. It is how I started my career at Deloitte. In 05, we started running the Chinese division. There were absolutely very, very few Asian com- com- uh, companies that were in the region. So, hmm. uh, you know, it definitely keeps me focused and, and, and really kind of looking at the next emerging market, next emerging play. And I'm going to ask a, a dumb question because I had to go through this myself. And, and I feel like a lot of people from the esports industry also have no idea. What do the big four actually do? Can you give like a, like a quick rundown? Because I remember, like I remember I had a guy who offered to give me some help and, you know, I looked up what his job title was. I had no idea and I had to go Googling. But I feel like it's maybe a millennial Gen Z thing that we just don't understand a lot of these times. Yeah, the, the, a, a big four would be your, your Deloitte, your KPMGs, your PwC, and your EOI. And they're big account and auditing firms, and they're finance companies. So what ends up happening is if you're trying to do a joint venture or merger, you would hire a firm like that to work with you, preferably Deloitte, obviously. Taxes, tax structure, uh, mergers and acquisitions, joint ventures, studies, right? Case studies of what you're trying to do. When a company like Kia was trying to come into the region, they were trying to figure out what was the best overall cost in their five-year analysis, including what different stimulus packages they would receive and what different regions, and we would help shape and adjust and negotiate that to fit that brand to be in that specific region so they could be core and successful. Uh, human capital is a big thing. Uh, finding you know human right human beings to work in certain elements and, and things of that sort. Uh, a whole list of different businesses, but it's all the financial big side. I'll tell you that Deloitte itself 
audits about 70% of the Fortune 500 company or works with them. So your, your Microsoft to your Ford, those are the different things that you have to do as your company is growing, especially in the esports sector, because there's a minimum threshold that once you get a certain level of money, or if you're public or you're trying to go public, you then have to follow these certain guidelines and pay a certain amount of tax to certain things. And a company like a Deloitte or those big four can help you shape it so you don't run into government or any regulatory problems. Yeah, and I think that's a pretty good explanation. I mean, who better to do it, right? Someone who's worked on the ground. And the, the amount of things that these kind of companies do just seem to know no bounds for me, you know, with, with different government grants that you can get applications for. And it's so much more than just bookkeeping, which is what it seems like it's on the outside sometimes when you look at Yeah, I, I, did, I, did, I wasn't smart enough to do any of the bookkeeping part of it. So uh, I, was, I was always a business development relationship type of guy. That's kind of where, where we did it. So we, we did, you know, fairly well for the time that we were there. So what is the what's the pathway look like for you then into into gaming or even wider than that? Like what like how do you choose these emerging markets to go into? Do you have a personal interest in the cannabis in the blockchain in the esports market? Do you just see it as a business opportunity? Like how do you pick your next move? Well, <clears throat> I mean, you know, I'll, I'll talk about the three separately. Uh, cannabis was really difficult for me just because of my upbringing and, and the way I was raised. Um, but it was an emerging market nonetheless. And after being in the industry, I realized the real medical needs, 70% of my clients were actually people who were 50 and older, were elderly, were actually using it because to offset the cost of certain medic- medicines and things of that sort. Because in Arizona, you have to have a medical license in order to do so. So that's what I realized on, on that industry. So it, it what ended up kind of being one of those things where I didn't really want to tell my family because I left Deloitte and now I'm in this space. You can imagine they're like, dude, what are you, what are you doing? But yeah. You know, the end result of it and the way that we did it, it was very significant on the healthcare side of it and how we did things. I'm proud to say that we're probably one of the few companies that uh, even had lines of credit for product. And I was using the Deloitte side of business and really kind of using the business pathway of doing things. That was the first thing. Uh, you know, blockchain crypto, I believe in the technology. I believe what we're trying to do. Uh, there will be an announcement that I'll even say live here uh, that involves NACL with blockchain. Uh, but it's it's just an emerging market and new technologies there is from there. But esports is something that I've been passionate about forever. You know, you hear these guys say I've been gaming for thirty years. Well, I'll be, I'm forty, so I've been gaming for thirty some odd years, and I've been a real gamer for thirty some odd years. I play every night, right? That that would be the answer, you know, from my my duck hunt days, uh, shooting all this, shooting at the screen, but pointing at the screen because because the ducks were running around. I was tired of the dog yelling at me, laughing at me, to <laughs> playing every single night now, and now I have a Twitch where. You know, I'm, I'm streaming. I made affiliate very, you know, relatively in a good amount of time. And I truly believe in it, right? It was when I was, le- when I had to leave college to go back and work with my family, this before I joined Deloitte, my working 20-hour days, I felt very lonely. I felt very tired. I felt very exhausted. And I didn't have the strength to get up and shower and go out to a bar and do all these other things to meet and talk to you about my, in my early 20s. So I went to gaming. And at that time, that's when online was barely happening, right? That's when this, this is, this is 2000s, right? 2001, 2002, 2003. Yeah. It gave me a pathway to be someone else, to do something else, to not have to focus in on my day-to-day tasks. And gaming saved me. And I say this all the time. I mean, gaming legitimately saved me because it gave me some sort of interaction hope when I was still caught up in work and it just let me breathe. And when gaming started becoming what it became, and after my initial investment in phase, I realized how significant gaming was. And we have a whole youth group of, of, of these young 
people who really understand gaming and guys my age understand gaming. And then the guys over my age have absolutely no idea what the hell you're talking about. They just think you're crazy. Like, why would I ever watch this? And this is no different than what the NBA was in the 70s and the 80s when people were like, what do you mean I'm going to watch basketball on TV? Well, that's how they grew it, their TV rights and things of that sort. So for me, in gaming, what I realized was there was a huge niche in the college space, and there was no way for these guys to go from here to pro or even having the knowledge or the exposure. So when we did NACL and I became part of that, our exposure immediately was to help grow, was to help place in, in, in bigger you know, pro teams, which we, we've just made an announcement. We'll have a couple more announcements and to guide these guys. And with me, as transparent I, as, as easy it was for you to just message me and talk to me, I'm like that with everybody. I don't care if you're seven years old or 70 years old. I will do my best to try to get back to you because I have to respect your time coming for me and listening to it, in, you know, the 27 hours of your life that you dedicate, which I appreciate. But at the same time, I really believe that if we bring in from a big four perspective, and a guy who actually loves and is part of gaming and games every night, then we're the right people to shape it because the guys in business aren't going to question, what are you talking about? Well, you can go look me up you know, on CNN or whatever. And on the gaming side, here's what I do, and I understand the issues that you're facing as a group affiliate and things of that sort and what you want to do to grow. And the hardest part is the young people, they're just trying to prove to their parents that this is actually going to make money and it's actually going to do something. And it's up for us to guide it and shape it to really help that, 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 that area and do it right so that we can help the next generation over. So that's why I'm so big into gaming and, and why I believe in it so much. There's a few things you said there that, that resonated pretty well with me. I did an interview the other day for a new ABC TV show for the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. It's season two. It's called Help My Kid Is A Gamer. And it's obviously aimed at parents to be like, you know, how do you make sense of what your child is doing all the time? How do you support them? What you should look out for? What are the positives? What are the negatives? How to understand exactly what they're doing? And th- the social aspect that you said was was a major part that I talked about during my interview, which was that gaming is now a massive social activity. And while it might seem to a parent who doesn't understand that the kid is just in their room, you can hear them talking all the time on Discord, in-game chat to other people. They're on social media. They're on Twitch streams. They're on other people. And they're actually conversing with people all the time. So now gaming is a hyper-social activity. And even for my friends who I played with, semi-pro or just casually, we don't catch up in person really anymore. We don't we don't go to the pub, you know, and this is pre-coronavirus, obviously. We don't go to the pub. We don't go to the skate park. We only catch up when there's something extremely important. Like we usually do a once-a-year music festival and then we do a once-a-year Airbnb where like 20 of us get together, get drunk, play Nintendo Switch and have fun. But besides oh, that, yeah. we're hanging out in Discord. We're hanging out in Dota 2. <laughs> you know, where that's that's our that's our skate park, that's our medium, and that's what the kids are finding these days too. There was an awesome quote from Andrew Condon, who works in uh, high up in uh, sports consultancy and marketing and PR in the Australian industry, and he said the same thing too. He figured out with his kids that Fortnite is their new skate park, and often his kids are just sitting in a Fortnite lobby talking to each other, not even playing the game. It's all about the social aspect. No, and 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 and, and to be fair, right? I mean. What a lot of parents have a hard time understanding, this is where I take pride coming from the big four. And, and you know, you, you've heard my challenges and where I'm at now is you don't have to follow a typical path. There is no path right now in esports, right? There, there just, there isn't. We're really trying to make that path for everyone else. But the one thing I would encourage the parents and listeners of this is, is it's this simple. You don't care if your kids are playing sports because they, the likelihood of them making the NBA or the NFL is pretty slim, right? But yeah. you like it because of social interaction. 
You like it because they're talking to their friends. You like it because it has a team method. It's the same thing in gaming. If, if you're playing squads on Fortnite and someone's not doing their job, you lose. That's no different than playing basketball when the center's not doing, getting a rebound. It's exactly the same thing. And the second thing I would say is through gaming, it's not just playing gaming. I'm just going to you know err on Twitch and go from there. There are hundreds of new businesses and opportunities from marketing to graphic design to legal to even accounting that you can be industry specific on the space because those are very basic business needs that are required yeah. in that industry. And I think a lot of parents overlook that. People overlook that because they just think, here's my video game. But what you're not realizing is the interaction and the amount of other opportunities is just in that space. What's the difference between being in a car space or in the basketball space or the entertainment space? You still need those basic things and people in the industry to shape it. And I think that's where gaming hmm. uh, doesn't really have that shown out constantly and consistently, but it should because those are the opportunities. Yeah, I mean, a perfect example of, of two things of that is my lawyer who has predominantly esports clients, but also works in the sports industry and my accountant who does cafes and, you know, local businesses and mechanics, but he also does my business and, you know, five or six different esports teams as well. You're right. You need to find that, that niche within that space. And I think my lawyer loves it. I've done so many public talks with him and he always says, you know, I'm a lawyer, but not like that. I'm the cool kind. I'm a sports lawyer. Yeah. I'm I love cooler that. Than that. I'm an esports lawyer. So he loves the, he loves the bragging. He loves the bragging aspect for sure. I'd love to talk to you a little bit about like the, I guess the management structure of these companies that you're involved in. And this has been a topic that I've talked about a ton in different content. And I'm, I'm a big fan and, and believer in an esports company having experienced business people coming from the outside to help them to run it. Let's say your CEO of a certain company might be from a big four, might be from a traditional sports team, because often once the company's out of startup mode, the CEO's job is to report to the board. It's responsible to maintain profitability, to keep the staff happy and to run a, a smooth and well-oiled company. Whereas every single senior person under them would be beneficial, in my opinion, to have experience in the esports market. Maybe your head of sales worked for a Corsair or a Razor or someone like that. Your head of marketing, you know, came up through an esports team or was a Twitch streamer themselves. You know, your head of community is from that space, etc. I'd love to learn from you a bit more about the structure behind NACL and Phase and, and how you managed to merge those two worlds together with the traditional business and the gaming experts. I mean, with Phase, you know, I, you know, I'm just an investor. I'm doing the day to day stuff. The, the first and, and one of the deals I did was. I helped put together the Super Bowl commercial with Planners and, and Charlie Sheen and A-Rod. And it was really interesting mm -hmm. when we were talking to the president, uh, you know, and, and the CEO of the company, Lee and Greg, the discussion was simple. This is great exposure on a, on a non-traditional side, on a very traditional thing like Planners Peanuts. And I was helped by my partner, Steve Babcock, who was with Gary, you know, V at the time and VaynerMedia. And what was so interesting about that is when you took – the KPIs of the one second, the two seconds that Apex was in the back, he had more engagements than Charlie Sheen and A-Rock combined. Mm. Now, when you do those numbers and you show those numbers to, to anyone who's in the traditional space, they think you're insane. And the reality, I, and they said, well, how do you follow numbers? I said, well, we just pull up the YouTubes. We pull the Instagrams. Like, we just add the numbers. And that's pretty much how you did it, right? A very, very standard thing. So, mm. so that's, that's, you know, as far as phase. With NACL, I can obviously talk to more on structure and branding. For us, everyone that is on our team is part of the community or have be has become part of the community. I'll give you a simple example. Jeremy Roenick, who's a very well-known hockey player who is one of our partners, had a tournament the last two weeks. He played in the last tournament. He's never played before until then. And, and mm. 
the running joke was he should get Vince Vaughn to play for him because, you know, swingers, it's not so much me, it's Jeremy Roenick. That's what it is, right? But he played in it. You know, yeah. Rick, Rick Berry's, who's part of our, our, our team, his son Canyonberry plays League of Legends a lot, right? So we're really, really kind of engrossed with that. Um, we have some great guys that are part of the team, and, and they're all part of the processes. But I think what we do differently is we actually game, right? So as the, the president of this nonprofit, I game. And therefore, I understand the issues and development issues and the concerns and the parent issues that a gamer has. And I really try to find the answers for that while still pleasing everybody else in business. And that's where the catch-22 is. But if you look at bottom-line profits and not so much on the people, it's like a band. It's going to break up eventually, right? The hardest thing in any sports industry or any industry is can you keep the egos in check and keep the team together and we're focused on the overall goal. And we've been very fortunate with that. I will say that I listened to our advisors who are in their 60s and 70s, you know, and to our advisors who are 18, 19, and 20. Just because they're younger in this scene doesn't mean they don't know anything. In fact, they probably know more than I do, but we constantly listen and we want to develop and grow and see where that's at. So for us, when we do a structure, we structure it like a business, but with the goal in mind is if I was a young person, how can I achieve and how can I get here? And that's how we shape our business, which is why NACL has been able to perform what it's done in about seven months. Yeah, it was an interesting thing you said about the advisors and, and the people who are helping out. I've, and I've, I've talked about this in some content before, and I feel like there's so much disrespect from the esports and gaming space towards traditional business people. It's obvious that, you know, we should be confident in what we're selling and, you know, what we're doing is the future and, you know, things like FaZe and 100 Thieves and Ninja and PewDiePie, you know, have amazing reach and are often disrespected by traditional business, but also understanding what traditional business has done to get to where they are today. You see all the time people saying, you know, a TV's dead, you know, Fox is making no money, all this kind of stuff. But, but look at the amount of dollars that are still flowing through these companies. Just because a person is 70 and they say that I don't like esports, I like traditional TV, doesn't mean they're an idiot because this person might have $10 million in the bank, five houses, and they've had a very illustrious career of selling billions of dollars worth of worth of portfolios of companies and advertising and things like that. So there is, there is respect that can be gathered. And I think I you know, came through that firsthand after I started doing some work with KPMG, started it. And, and when I had a, a couple of uh, mentors and advisors from the traditional sports industry come over as well, you know, one in particular being Andrew Walton, who I do a lot of work with, you know, he founded a sports startup 16 years ago. He's about the same age as my parents, but he's walked me into board level and, and director level at, you know, basketball in Australia, golf, cricket, um, you know, we're talking about doing some deals with different football slash soccer things at the moment as well. You know, I needed some contacts in Saudi Arabia. He whipped them up in one second for me. You know, if I need something done, he can just pick up the phone and call someone. And the amount of skills and experience that he has is incredible. And especially if he can get a mentor that will listen to you, take it on board and figure out how to spin it. Like there's just so much advantages that can be made. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, any industry whether in this, I've seen this in every emerging industry, right? You have your experts who are your true blue. I did this my whole entire life. And then you have your ones who run it. And I'll tell you what I always tell people. Cause you know, I have restaurants too. And I'll say this just because you can cook an amazing hamburger at home. Doesn't mean you can run a restaurant. Yeah. It's that simple. And what, what I think a lot of the younger people who are in this area, as much and as frustrating it is for them to not, have the support from people that might be around them who are a little bit older, I think they're wasting time. There's equal amount of stress from sponsors who want to work with you 
but you're not understanding that you're a brand and what you put on social media is your brand. No one asks for the resume anymore. Your, your online presence is now your resume. And what I see a lot of people is these are the guys who are paying the money. So you can do it two ways. You can keep doing the way you're doing it and hopefully there'll be a lot of success. Or you can work and acclimate and teach and then receive as well, right? You have to deposit before you can withdraw. And I always say that, right? So the reality is you have to deposit and teach and then withdraw because sometimes when people think of how I'm making money, they're only thinking about money, not thinking about brand. They're not thinking about exposure, not thinking about the other contacts and networking and the deals that will come out of it. That might not necessarily be in the space, but because you're just a good human being, the universe will provide back. So then they get a little, they get a little near, you know, nearsighted and they're not seeing the whole big picture and you have to respect these people in every industry, just like you want them to respect you because you're an 18 year old gamer who's really good at what you do. Right? So it has to be two forms of respect. And I think that's what makes us a little bit more different because we are trying to constantly listen and understand both sides of, of, of the spectrum. Yeah, and I, I think what resonated with me there that you said, is I listened to a podcast, um, I think it was a Joe Rogan podcast a while ago, and they had a traditional podcaster guy in there. He was he was kind of known as the first person to invent podcasts and worked in radio. And he was talking about the difference between like what you think is money and what real like money is and how to build up your brand and advertising to get that real money, to get that Coca-Cola paycheck. And this is something that I see talking to influencers a lot influencers will go well man i'm making eighty thousand dollars a year i'm still living with my parents like i'm balling even two three hundred thousand dollars and then you come to find out that their business isn't registered properly they don't know how to do an invoice they don't know how to go to a business meeting they only get paid through paypal and they're working with you know skin gambling sites and things like that and yes that's an okay line of revenue but sometimes what you need to do is take a step back and think about where does the real money come from like where does the phase money come from why do you seven members of FaZe all have Lamborghinis. There's, there's got to be a reason behind that. And that's because when you're on a Super Bowl commercial, that is real money. That's not just a $10,000, 60-second once-off ad placement that you can go and take your parents out to dinner or get a nice first-class flight. We're talking about you know $100,000 in your pocket for completing one activity. We're talking about Joe Rogan selling his podcast to Spotify, which he announced just just this morning, like in, in Australia time, like that's, that's the real money, but it takes a long time and positioning exactly like you said, branding and positioning to get there. It, it does. And the one thing that I think everyone needs to learn is patience. And, and I think it's so hard for us because, you know, when you're playing games, you're doing those things. When you put something on social media, you get instantaneous reactions and those yeah. reactions, they, they basically validate your mood and they validate what you're doing, which is unfortunate because if you're a global brand, you're going to get different likes and different things all through different times. And most people focus on the first 30 minutes and then they go crazy. I think the other thing is you're absolutely right. There has to be a basis. Listen, you know, youth look throughout history, the youth of any industry who's made a ton of money, the ones who fill are the ones who don't educate themselves, right? This is any major athlete, any major millionaire, every billionaire. The, the, the second part, and I always say this is the ones who are just, they're not happy. They're not happy with what they're doing and how they're doing it. So they get very impatient and they start losing the love of the business. So being able to do both, I think is extremely important and in and, and order to do that type of business, because if it doesn't come from here, it's just, it's going to show out in the world. It doesn't matter. And I think that's what the difference is. Yeah. It was funny while you were talking about, I was Googling, I'm, tr I'm trying to remember who, who I was listening to, but I just Googled here that Shaquille O'Neal blew his first million dollars in 60 minutes. He yeah. said, yeah, he said his, 
paid off his mum's house, but then he did, in quotation marks, what all of the homeboys do. Got to buy rings and diamonds and earrings and this and that. It was in an interview with Business Insider. And it seems seems right. And I, I don't know if it was him or if it was someone else who said too, you know, they signed their first big contract, you know, it was an NFL or NBA contract. They went out and bought a Bentley, came home, and then, you know, their dad was like, where's mine? So they went out, bought a second one, came home. The mum went, where's mine? So they went out and bought her a Rolls Royce and then came back. Yeah, then, yeah, I, I remember know, reading that. You're right. Yeah, and a few weeks later, he gets a call from his accountant being like, yeah. Your, your checks are being denied. And he's like, what the hell? I just signed more money than I can ever hope to know what to do with, but it's all gone. And you're Look, definitely you right. Can't balance, you, bucks, you can't balance a hundred thousand. You can't, if you can't yeah. balance a hundred dollars, you can't balance a million dollars because your spending habits are your spending habits. The way you do things, the way you're doing things. So the best advice for anyone to be long-term in any industry, especially this industry is knowing your finances, knowing how you do it, knowing how to work with people, not having too much pride and say, well, this isn't my normal race. So I'm not going to do it. Okay. There's, hundreds of thousands of people that would do it that rate, right? Yeah. Sometimes you just have to do it and, and really know what's best for your brand and what's best for the universe. That makes a difference because as anything, anything can change at any time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very true. That rate thing is a discussion that I've had with influencers a lot. And it's really interesting to see influencers that would rather not sell 10 videos because they won't make the $10,000 they want to rather than just, you know, doing one of their pre-rolls for three grand. It's like, well, that's three grand you wouldn't have had. And, right. the, and the pre-roll, you know, doesn't take you really any time to do. And then maybe you can sell more and literally copy-paste it onto other videos to keep and, making that $3,000. And that's bad business to me. And not only is that bad business, then the market, if you're really as good as you are, the market will then pay you what you deserve, right? Because numbers are numbers. You can't lie about them. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, if the people are getting back and they find out that you scoffed at that the money, they're going to put you in a pile of, well, they won't do it for less than that. And the guy who did do it might get his big break. And we hear it consistently all the time. So I would definitely encourage, and like what you just said, is is to take advantage of the opportunities that exist. Obviously, you have to have a minimum threshold. You have to see if it's worth your cost value. But at the end of the day, if it can help you grow and help your brand grow, you should definitely do that. Yeah. Yeah, very true. Very true. So what's your advice for someone who's on the come up right now, like in the esports or gaming market, they're looking for someone to help? Because I feel like I can never give that direct example. People come to me and say, Chris, can you help me get a mentor? And I go, I don't even know how I got mine. So I don't know how to tell you to get yours. I, I think with anyone, and like when I get people ask me to mentor them, I say, before you ask me to do anything, go listen to my first three podcasts and come back to me. Because you have to make sure that you vibe with me. Right, and, and we're doing the right things and we're the right people. I yeah. think with anything in life and career and business and the person you're going to be with and anything else, you have to feel it. You just have to feel it, right? Because what's going to end up happening is you're going to be so – money will motivate you for a while. Fame will motivate you for a while. And eventually, you are going to be very upset and very unhappy and alone, right? And the one thing I talk about my podcast and you know this is how many people have ever taught you how to be happy? And I've, when I ask that question, I've never heard anyone say, hey, I've been, I've, I've, someone's taught me how to be happy. They, they don't know that. They know how we can make money. They know how to raise, you know, a family. They know how to, but they don't know how to be happy with themselves in the situation and environment. So the first thing is, are you being, are you happy with what you're doing, right? Is the gaming becoming too much or now it's becoming a job and it's you lost your happiness? If that's a situation, you need to reassess your value what you're trying to do. Number two there's a, there's a way that you can still have a job, go to school, have a significant other, have friends, and still game and Twitch. It's totally possible. Hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people around the world have done it. 
you have to stop making those excuses and letting your ego dictate what's happening. Because most of the time when your ego dictates what's going on, you make terrible decisions. In fact, if you think about it, you probably never made a good decision based on your ego, right? So I think that's the other important thing. I think the third important thing is, is you always have to have your just in cases. If COVID's taught us anything at this point in time, it's, is one source of income, no matter what it is, or two sources of income, there's no guarantee. I, I'm very grateful that we've had other sources of income that have helped bring us in to pay our day-to-day things. While something like downtown space, traditional real estate thing, we're just waiting to see if we're going to get any tenants in. And I'm just sitting there waiting all day long. But if it wasn't for my other businesses, there would be no income. So it's okay to branch out and go from there. I think the last thing is you have to research. Look, you research how to play the game. You research who your favorite people are. You research hours and hours on YouTube or Twitch to see how people are, sh- are, are shooting and, and, and how they're making things differently. Why are you not investing in yourself and researching for your own future and things that matter to you that are outside the game? So it's not, a, it's not a, an inability. It's not a time issue. It's a matter of, of importance. And I think when you do that and you realize what's important to you and you focus in and zero in on that, I usually have a one, three, five legacy goal. And I tell this to everyone I say, I, and I break it out three sections. I say, in your one year, three year, five year legacy goal, I want you to put in business, your mental health, and your family. And what you're going to realize very quickly is that this goal might not align with these two other goals. And your legacy has nothing to do with the business I'm just making. And when I give people that advice and they're looking at it like, oh my God, I have to reshape what I want because this isn't what I want to do the rest of my life. Being clear and concise and focused and realizing that I think makes a big difference in your approach and things. And, and it really kind of allows you to know what you want to do. What you don't want to do. Yeah. I think I've got, I've got so many spinoffs for that. I was actually having to write them down a notepad <laughs> while you were talking. This thing is I wanted to, to talk about. I think like number one, you mentioned ego and that's, that's the, my best learning in the past year and a half is listening to Jocko Welling, ex Navy SEAL has a book. A few books, but Discipline Equals Freedom and a few others as well. I would highly suggest for anyone and any future employees of mine, I'm going to buy that book and put it on their desk for their first day. And really what I got out of what he discussed is everything, every argument essentially that I've ever had in business is 100% come down to ego. You know, some of my business partners I've worked with in the past have been fantastic business people, but also massive ego heads. And you can see when you start to argue with them about something, you can take a step back and detach. And sometimes physically, literally, I've taken a step back and detached in the situation and gone, it's just me not wanting to admit I'm wrong or them not wanting to admit they're wrong. And we both know that they're wrong, but they don't, they're not going to admit that because their ego doesn't allow them to. So let's just let me just be the man, fall on my own sword, because who cares? They're going to forget it tomorrow anyway, because their ego is still going to be there. No, let's, let's just go ahead. I think another two um, quotes that I thought were fantastic that you said before too about finance to the, the talk that we just had is one's from Dave Ramsey. And for him, he helped me quit my job and start my own company. He helped me understand how to properly save money and all that kind of stuff. And he's like a finance coach and guru from the US. And one of his quotes, I think that would resonate with you is you can't out earn stupid. (laughs) And I thought that one was pretty good because I think a lot of the time people go, well, if only I can get this pay rise, then I'll be able to afford the car I've already bought. You know, if only I can do this, then I can go on that holiday that I've already financed. Um, right. And you know, I already went to Hawaii, but now I've got a five thousand dollar debt for the holiday that's already over, and things like that too. So I think that's important. And another one that I learned on a personal level in the past too was um, from an Australian called the Barefoot Investor, 
who's created a bunch of books about how people can start to build their own financial security through just having an emergency savings fund and, and things like that. And his advice was check your bank balance every time you don't want to. And I've found that both in business and personal. Because I've had that before where you go, well, I think I've got $3,000 in my spending account, but I really don't know. And my rent's due soon, but I'm too scared to check it. Like that is the exact time that you need to go and check that. And I've had that in business before where I've just gone, I'm just too busy to do my finance stuff. Like I'm sure I've got enough money to make payroll and I'm sure that these guys have paid their invoice. But that's the worst way to think about it. It's especially at that stage when I was a really early stage in the startup, I need to put those structures in place to go, no, I understand that I'm busy, but I'm the CEO, I'm the founder. That means I'm the finance, I'm the BDM, I'm the COO on everything. So I need to go and make sure that I'm checking that all the time and building those good habits about just always opening up zero, always just logging into your bank account just to check. Because man, sometimes a thousand bucks goes missing and you go, I'll tell me a thousand dollars, but a thousand dollars is a lot of money. That's that's like three dinners for you and your staff <laughs> that you could go out on for free and things like that. So yeah, I think I think it's some important points you brought up for sure. I, I like that you said that, Chris. And I think I think you as a business person that's extremely intelligent at your age because the reality is marketing costs are going to be marketing costs. Fixed labor costs are fixed labor costs. Rent is rent. Utilities are utilities. doesn't matter what industry you're in, you're paying all that stuff. The conceptual knowledge of understanding that when you're running finances is the number one failure in businesses because you haven't anticipated cash flow analysis issues or issue. Mm-hmm. And what that really comes down to is arrogance for a lot of people because they're too proud to learn. They're too proud to admit it, and they and they and then I, I was just like that. I, I'm on admit, I'll admit it. I was just like that. But once you learn those numbers, then you start making decisions based on real data as opposed to impulse buying, which we do when we're a lot more younger. I think that's that's the big thing. I think the second thing, like you said, which which I want to elaborate a little bit more on. You talk about ego, and I want to say I want to share a story. And I've shared this once on you know in, in my podcast, but I want to share it in yours, which is this, this simple. I had a friend who was in the middle of a divorce. And he was about to lose both his kids. And he had three cars. He had an N5, a Range Rover, and a Lamborghini. And we're sitting here and we're talking about business and life. And the guy is like super stressed out. And then all of a sudden he turns to me and he goes, yo, I'm going to get the new Huracan. I looked at him and I said, why? And he said, because that's the car I've always wanted. I said, so-and-so, 10 years ago when you were 18, 19, 20, and you got your Gallardo and you had all these cars, did you think at that point in time that you were going to be where you were going to be? And he goes, no. And I said, hey, if you had told yourself 10 years ago that you got in that car, what would you say? He said, I made it. Exactly. I go, for every one of the Huracans that you want to get, we have friends that own Aventadors, Bugattis, Paganis, helicopters, jets, two jets, three jets, private islands. Who the hell are you competing with? Mm. Right? It's when you start making those decisions, and like you said, you have this much, and typically when you expand too quickly in business, sometimes it's ego. It's typically when you're trying to buy the new cooler controller, the, the better car, unless there's an actual purpose that will help you in business, or maybe it's better in gaming, you're actually, you're actually causing your own stress and pressure. You're causing your own problems because now you went from having this ability to live and to function, and now because someone who doesn't matter is putting you at this level, you have now engage in this and you have to make up this much of a difference when your life is perfectly fine that is where the ego comes in and that is the same thing and i don't care if you're in gaming if you're in cannabis if you're at deloitte if you're an entrepreneur a lot of times those decisions are being made based on the wrong reasonings and if you're honest with yourself and your ego you'll know that you're making the wrong decisions and that will help you shape your decisions to be better and to make smarter decisions when 
the time comes. Yeah, I think that's very, I think that's very well put. And I, I think another way to say it is that there was a great book called This Is Marketing by Seth that came out that, that I listened to on Audible. And one of the psychological aspects of what he said that resonated with me is people say, people put themselves in a category and they say, do people like me act like this? Or do people like me do things like this? So if you're an influencer on Instagram coming up, you will say, you'll look yourself in the mirror and you'll see that you're just wearing basic Walmart clothes. And you go, well, no, I'm an influencer. I have to wear Gucci. Like an influencer, which I am, does not drive a Toyota. I have to drive a Lamborghini. And even if you can't afford it, you still have to do that. And you see that a lot with business too, where people go, well, I'm a business person. I have to make a motivational YouTube page and post on it once every six months. Like it's just, it's just a waste of time. You know, you don't need to do these things just because other people do. And I feel like sometimes I'm trying to counter that narrative, you know, for me, and I don't really talk about this much, but for me, you know, I've only got eight pairs of black t-shirts. I've got two pairs of black jeans and I got three pairs of Adidas shoes, one of which is secondhand. The other two, I got it like 60% off. And that's, and I drive a $5,000 Toyota. And right now within business, I'm not paying myself an exorbitant amount of money. It's about growing my company for sure. And I'm earning less money than I have before in, in right. my own jobs, but I'm worth more on paper than I've ever been and doing, having more opportunities. But for me, yeah, the pride comes from the work that I'm doing and where I'm going to and not necessarily the materialistic stuff. And it, it's funny because this is the kind of stuff that my dad told me for many years that obviously you don't listen to <laughs> when you're a kid. Yeah. You know, he grew up in the bush, um, you know, out a thousand kilometers inland where it's 44 degrees Celsius every day in summer, which is like 110 Fahrenheit. Um, you know, grew up in a children's home that his parents ran. So obviously he didn't have these material possessions, but was much more happy, you know, than a lot of people are who have that hurricane, like you said, who have that third Lamborghini that they purchase. And that doesn't mean it's, bad to buy a Lamborghini like hell like I'm, I'm very likely I'll buy one one day or at least a nice Tesla but still like you said it's like what is the why around that and what is the point from upgrading from a $200,000 car to $300,000 car does that make you 1.5x happier like probably not look I mean if, if it truly makes you happy and it truly fulfills a desire of success then you should do it but as long as you're not lying to yourself and why you're doing it right that's the big thing is that you're not lying to yourself and I mm -hmm. think a lot of times in business, especially younger guys, younger guys, you, you have to show, especially on social media, that you have certain things that other people don't have because that's unfortunately the premise of the game right now, right? It is what it is. Yeah. But what people need to understand is what you just said as, a, as an entrepreneur. I'm not getting paid right now. I'm doing this for the love of what I'm trying to do because I love it. I believe in it. And I'm going to work around it. And no one sees those grinding hours that got to what you're trying to get. That's, that's the most important part. And I, I think the other important part is you, you're not going to go to a black tie affair wearing chucks and jeans and a t-shirt with the governor because you're going to look ridiculous. Similarly, you're not going to go to an esports conference wearing a suit. You look ridiculous, right? So you have to make the adjustments. Where the difference is where I think people fail is they use that excuse to get 15 more shoes or 15 more watches or 15 mm -hmm. more nice cars. And then they're just unhappy with themselves, right? Because it didn't fulfill the void that was actually lacking which has nothing to do with material. We do it because it's a void. And so what ends up happening is if you recognize that, I'm not saying not to go get anything nice. I'm just saying don't lie to yourself because you don't need 15 of them. You don't need 30 of them. I've been there. I've done it. I've just been as dumb as everyone else. And I can tell you I am truly happy now because I don't have to worry about those restrictions and stress I put on myself that don't exist.
Yeah, yeah, that's very true. And it, and it is hard, like, you know, looking at the kind of videos that my girlfriend watches a lot of the time, there's clothing hauls all the time. So you're, you're pressured into doing that. You're pressured into getting a whole new look every two weeks of fast fashion. You're pressured <laughs> into owning seven times as much makeup as you need. And I've seen her go through that growth stage of buying way too much makeup, ended up having to, you know, pay it on afterpay, et cetera, now to where she only owns exactly what she needs to wear day to day and then a certain amount of play. But that's her leisure activity a lot of the time is creating cool makeup looks and things like that so it makes exact sense like what you said what's the what's the focus coming up for you in the in the gaming and esports market is there any is there any trends that you're that you're looking at like are you are you a guy that follows trends or i'm a big trend follower i I believe in it i believe in working with everyone i mean we've been pretty proud i think as far as nacl is concerned obviously baze has done amazing great leadership great great guys clinton is a is a genius what he does and very very proud to be with him and what they're trying to do Mm -hmm. um it's phenomenal to see that numbers don't lie. You know, for NACL point of view, you know, we, we have a couple of things. We're like, this week we'll make the announcement that we're, we have the very first blockchain payout system with consensus Ethereum uh, that has worked with us. We already did a payout system, but that gives immediate transparency to payouts so people don't get stuck with doing tournaments and never getting paid. That's something that I pride myself in doing. That's what I'm talking about, the emerging markets and doing that. That'll be an announcement. We, we signed a deal with uh, Wolves Esports, which is from the Foyo Full Sun Group. Uh, any of our best players from PUBG now have an opportunity to go pro and go from there because they can come and compete. Um, we have a couple more of those now, so some pro teams coming up, which we'll, we'll make the announcement. I'll definitely let you know about it. Um, but we also have the only broadcasting rights for Collegiate League right now on the U.S. side in, in mainland China. With Whole Mall, we do about 200 or half a million views, depending on, on what it is. And we have a seven-country, 48-episode deal with iSun TV where we take the best of what we have and we do a replay kind of like a, a sports center and we talk about tournaments. Well, what this is important is because mm-hmm. people don't realize on this side of the world, in the eastern side, a lot of our social media, your Twitches, your Instagrams, your Facebooks don't exist. You have to have your own over there. So why is this a major thing? Well, 67% of esports people are from Asia Pacific, 77% of the world is Asia Pacific. It gets you a new audience, new brands, new opportunities. This is, that's something that we're really, really proud of doing in our short amount of time as a nonprofit. And we're working with some pretty big uh, uh, teams and, 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 and leagues and, and things that are coming up that I think will help shape the environment. So I'm definitely proud of that and trying to really kind of grow this opportunity on a global level. So I've done a few podcasts about this, like with, with Rahul Sood. I'm not sure if you know him. He's a co-founder of Unicorn. He founded Microsoft VC, um, Unicorns and Esports Wagering Company. And they were founded primarily for cryptocurrency. I asked him this question and I, I don't know if I was quite satisfied with his response. So I'd love to hear you too. Can you, can you convince me why, why blockchain needs to be in esports? What's the actual application behind it? For me, my, when I first started, when we first did NACL, it was funny, man. We were, I was getting LinkedIn messages from kids and saying, yo, I know you invested in phase. These guys are saying that you're part of NACL. Is this real? This is a true story. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 You know, I'm, I really believe in NACL. Or, yo, we want to see who you are, who's, who's in the back. And they would look it up and they would find it. Because what we found out in the traditional spaces, a lot of these leagues don't pay. They don't yeah. pay. They don't pay when they're supposed to. They don't do what they're supposed to do. And for me, nothing is worse for a college student who is starving, who for us, it's one tournament at one time and then you, you get paid, right? We don't do, we haven't done the, the 10 weekly because for me, it was simple. 
your mom and dad are on you, your girlfriend's probably on you, your boyfriend's probably on you, your friends are on you. You're not going to make any money. Boom, you win 1500 bucks. Here's this one's friend, mom and dad. I told you this was worth it. It was thinking of their perspective. When the blockchain came into yep. it, my reasoning was simple. It was transparency. So anybody who wanted in a traditional business sense, see if we were actually paying out. Our sponsors wanted to see it. We weren't taking the money because you know we're a nonprofit and being greedy. Or the payouts were actually existing. They could literally go on if they had the expert on the blockchain side and see that if we're doing that. It was just mm-hmm. as much transparency as possible because my concern is these guys who are in our community who are dedicating their lives to do something and never getting paid out. That's awful feeling. So that's why we did it. Yeah, it's funny. I've never thought about that before, but it's so true. You know, I, I've got plenty of friends who've competed in tournaments and won, you know, $500 as far as nine years ago, and they still haven't seen that money to this day. And there was a big story about a League of Legends tournament in New Zealand that owed teams $30,000 that just paid out finally, but it took eight months of zero communication, you know, missed calls, you know, message banks, no, nothing replied on Facebook, et cetera. And it is extremely common in this industry. So it's cool to see that transparency. I wonder if, I wonder if some other people will pick it up. I think the other explanation I saw that was really good for cryptocurrency was emerging markets like India and Africa processing very small amounts of payments where literally two people can do a wager against each other and they can put up two cents each. The winner gets three cents and the, you know, the rake is one cent. But A, it's all public. B, it's immediate. But also the, the transaction fees and such can be extremely small if you're using like cryptocurrency. I thought that was a good explanation too. No, I appreciate that. No, I mean, I mean that's definitely a, a great reasoning behind it. I mean, obviously we do international tournaments a lot. Uh, but I just didn't want anyone to ever feel that we weren't being honest with them on our brand. Because if we are doing it wrong, then we've lied to our community and therefore we've shaped our community in the wrong way. And so, for me to, I mean, we had to pay. I mean, there was money that we had to pay to do this. It wasn't free. It actually came out of my own pocket because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the biggest, you know, uh, uh, donator to our group. But the reality is it, it's well worth it. And I think when people hear that and they're thinking it from, from the side of the community, which is how we were doing it, it will encourage them more to do our tournaments and work with us. And hopefully other people will follow suit and, and, they, and the community can get paid very, very quickly. Mm, yeah. And another story, like you were saying about, you know, someone wanting the money immediately, like you know, commonly known as the first kind of pro gamer in the world, you know, Jonathan Fatality Wendell, he always had arguments with his dad about playing Quake and Painkiller more and more. And he wanted him to quit. And he said, Dad, I'm going to go to this tournament. And if I don't win, I'm never going to play games again. And he came home and he slapped $15,000 on the table and said, there you go. I'm staying as a pro. So I I know. Great story, man. That's a great story. Yeah, and there was a story from Skylar Johnson actually, who's um, you know, prominent in the Call of Duty community and was you know a, a director with um, G Fuel for a long time, and it was the same thing for him. You know, he was he said that when he was going pro in early early Call of Duty, you know, he'd be messaging MLG, being like, "Guys, can we get the payout sooner? Like, our rent is due in three days, and we got no food in the fridge. You know, we just won a four hundred dollar cash cup. Like, can we please have that money come through immediately?" So you're right in that you know you need to respect the grind and. You need to look at, you know, exactly what your customers are looking for. And, you know, no one likes missed invoices. And I've had to do that before. I've had to, you know, had a, had a client pay late and, you know, it's been around Christmas time and had influencers say to me, Chris, like I've fucked up. Like, you know, I've promised editors some money and, you know, I was, I was waiting on this money from this campaign to come through and it hasn't. Can you help me out? And I said, fine. You know, I, I sent half the money of, of my own from my business to them just to cover it throughout that meantime because you need to understand that, 
you know, sometimes you need to help out the, the little man. They need that. And, and sometimes also it helps because, I mean, this person has 800,000 subscribers and now they owe me a favor. <laughs> so if nothing else, I built a fantastic business relationship out of it. I love that about you, Chris. I think that's so genuine and so honest. And I think a lot of people can learn that from you. You know, I have a, a you know, the Clinton story is, is, I have two stories that are similar to that, but that really lead in esports. Had I not paid Clinton 10 years ago the exact money I owed him, I would have never had the opportunity to invest in face. But had I not maintained my, my, my real meaningful relationship with Clinton over the 10 years, because I just generally cared about him because he became my friend, I would have never known that I had this opportunity to do this, right? Mm. And a lot of times what people are doing is they're looking for, if I give you this, what am I getting back in return? The universe understands that. It's, it's not silly. The second thing is I have this, this great story with a, a, a basketball player who actually went to Australia, Vinny Del Negro. Who, who's one of our brand ambassadors. And, you know, Vinny played in the NBA. You know, he was a coach of the Clippers, the Bulls. We're sitting in the office when I first pitched NACL, and I want him to be part of the, the team. And, and after I pitched the story, Vinny's like, yo, he's like, he's like, I'm in. I said, Vinny, I got a funny story to tell you. He goes, what's that? I said, when I was 15 years old, I was in the high school journalism club, and I was tasked to take basketball photos, and I was a huge basketball fan. And it happened to be the Warriors versus the Spurs. So I'm 15, 16, bringing my dad's 1970 Nikon, the one that you had to roll. And I'm bringing it in, in there. And I see all these big NBA players. And at 15, 16, I just, you know, your hope is when you meet your, your, your heroes is that they're going to be as great as you imagine them, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm going through and some guys would sign the ball. Some guys didn't sign the ball. Some guys were talking to me. There were three people that were super great. One was Doc Rivers. You know, he, he talked to me for a bit. He signed my ball, had a, a discussion. Second guy was David Robinson. He was down the hallway. He was on top of a bus. And I screamed, Mr. Robinson. And I have this ball. I'm this 15-year-old kid looking at him. And he walks all the way back down. And he signs my ball and puts 316. He puts inspirational quotes and Bible quotes and said that. Vinny signed my ball. And so I tell Vinny the story. I said, and then you signed my ball when you were in a rush. And you were like, like yeah, no problem, kid. I'll sign your ball from there. And you don't know what that meant to me. To this day, the ball's in my gym. It's sitting at my gym. And he looks at me and he goes, boy, kid, I'm so glad I signed that basketball. <laughs> you never know. You just never know, yeah. which is why you said it. You listen to your audience. You can't discount a 7-year-old or a 15-year-old. They're your future. You can't discount mm -hmm. a 50- or 7-year-old. They know what the heck they're doing. But being kind, you never know. And you think Benny – 25 years later, would have thought we'd be sitting in a room together doing business. He doesn't even, he didn't even know I exist. He just signed my ball, but that sat in there for 25 years and resonated in me. And when I finally got to tell him the story, he was just like, wow, like this has been amazing. I'm so glad I signed your ball. So, uh, you know, in the esports world, a lot of you young guys, you know, don't take for granted the blessings that you're getting from these people. They, they are your audience and you do your best to try to explain and work with them. Because you just never know one day down the road if they'll be with you and, and what can happen. Yeah. And you definitely see that with creators when they start to reach their peak and you can see that they're going to start going down because they start doing exactly that. They don't talk to their Twitch chat anymore. They don't do meetups anymore. Or if they do, it's only for a few minutes. They don't do anything unless you pay for their attention. And generally, you can see that. You can say, okay, you can see this person's going to start losing fans because people want that access. They want that contact, right? And it's the opposite to a movie star. Hugh Jackman was so cool because he'd be in a movie once a year. Then he'd go off into his mansion, wherever the hell he lives. You wouldn't hear from him ever again until he comes out as, as Wolverine once more. But 
you know, if, if you're a ninja or a PewDiePie, they want to see your two TikToks a day. They want to see your Instagram stories. They want to see you replying to fans, doing meetups and packs and things like that too. So, you know, you want to be as accessible as possible for sure. How do yeah, you absolutely. how do you balance that though? Like I'm I'm struggling right now, you know, on LinkedIn, waking up every morning to 15, 20, sometimes 25 messages of people, you know, all vouching for your attention. And a lot of the time people asking you to do things for them, being like, hey, can you sell things for me at a commission? You know, this is a fantastic deal for you. Being like, hey, can you mentor me for free? Can you do all this kind of stuff? How do you, how do you personally balance that? For me, mentoring side, I do these mentorship sessions where people sign up on my line, online and my minimum requirement is simple. I'm investing in you as you're investing in me. So here's what we're going to do. Instead of charging you what I typically charge to speak or whatnot, you're going to go online. You're going to go to davidchinpanda.com. You're going to listen to my first three podcasts. You're going to write a review and you're going to tell me what it is. And here's your first assignment. They can't do that. I don't even waste my time. Because you can't even do this. I'm adding value. You're adding value. Let's work together and add the value. It might not be the answer you want, but adding value is not help me out, help me out, help me out, and I bring no value to you. And that's one thing I think a lot of young people need to understand. It's by choice that they want to help you out. But it's also your choice to understand, Google, learn, educate yourself, and be very, very concise because you have to respect that person's time and what they're doing. That, that's the first thing I would say. I, I think the second thing is when they're doing all this in, in my time, I, I have my meetings. I've learned to give myself my free time. After this, when we're done, I'm going to immediately go play basketball, and then we're going to have dinner, then we're going to watch a movie, and I'm going to get back and grind. I set myself up from there. When it comes to answering people, I will do my best when I can answer it. I'm very efficient. So if it's not in the restroom, I'm answering them. It's at a stoplight. I'm answering them, obviously, when I'm stoplighting more. It's quick responses back to try to engage with that. I understand that when you have 2 million messages, that's when it gets a little bit impossible. Like, I'm not saying that. But your followers know if you have 2 million messages and if you're just blowing them off. Like, no, no, one, no one's silly. Like, if anyone expects that, then they're just – they're being – they're not adding value to you because they're not respecting you. But I think that like when you have the opportunity to do so, you should be grateful and work with it and go from there because you don't know what hope you're inspiring. You don't know how far these people have traveled. You don't know what they gave up to see you, how many more extra shifts they had to do, how many more shifts dad had to do, all that stuff. You can't even give them a thank you. Sorry, man. That, that just wasn't the way I was raised. So for me um, – I think that's what I do. And then, you know, don't be so hard on yourself. I think as an entrepreneur, there's everything's important. You always have to do it. It has to be done now. It has to be done yeah. my way. And this is what I tell, and I learned this, but I had a very good friend once tell me, if you're organized and everything's in system control, you should, if you are stressing out because you aren't there to physically control it, you have no organization systems. It doesn't exist, right? Because it's run through. Now, it doesn't mean you don't double check. You have to go, go from, from there. But at the same time, you have to balance yourself out. And so it's a priority of what's important and what's not important. And as an entrepreneur, we often overload and everything's important, but your mental health is important. Mm. You're really not to burn out is important. I never understood. I'll tell you this, Chris. It's just, I just learned this two months ago, what a real vacation was. Because when I grew up, a vacation was your, my dad was still working. He still was on his phone. My mom was working. She'd bring her accounts to the account. So she'd be writing all the bills. My dad would be on the calls. And then we'd go and, and do what we had to do. I yeah, went to right. these two months ago. My fiance was like, put the phone down. We're going to go. For five days, I read. For five days, I got to think. For five days, I got to breathe. And of course, I would check my phone and I'd answer and go from there. But for the first time in my life, I realized that I needed to reset to continue to move forward. That's why athletes have off seasons. That's why people rest. 
And people who are like, I'm doing 24 hour streams every single day for God knows how long you're burning yourself out. The body can take what, what, what it can take. Don't let your ego get in the way. Mental health is real wealth. And from there you can then succeed and refocus on the goals that you want to have because we forget that when we're, we're just too busy. Yeah. And that was one thing I remember you saying in your podcast. I like that around the athletes have seasons, but business people don't have seasons. There's only so long. You think about it like MMA fighters. They only often fight twice a year because your body can't handle it. You've got to have a very stringent regime and then you have to cut your body weight and you're going in there and there's literally a possibility you can die. Someone's smashing your skull, you know, your brain against the inside of your skull. You can only do that so many times. But similar with business, there's only so many, you know, 12-hour, 14-hour days you can pull in a row before your body gives up, you know, and, and you need to understand your limits. And for me, it's if I get less than eight hours sleep, I'm fairly ineffective. You know, right. if I get six hours, it doesn't work for me. So I know that if I get six hours sleep, my, my next day is just wasted. There's no point because then I drink too much caffeine, I get too jittery and I get too sweaty and then I just don't get anything done. I don't do anything to good work. So I'm better off sleeping, you know, walking the dog than having a nap. And while it might feel less productive, you get more work done in the end. I but think you did something important though, man. You, you, you did self-realization. That's mm. hard, right? Checking yourself and realizing why you're not doing certain things without lying to yourself is the hardest thing in the world, right? <laughs> but you did it just because... Eight hours works for you doesn't mean eight hours works for me. Arnold sleeps seven doesn't mean you're going to be less successful than Arnold Schwarzenegger who sleep, only sleeps seven while mm-hmm. Gary will sleep four and you're sleeping eight. It, it, it's all relative to you. It's what you do with those times. And I think what people are trying to figure out is this is not a cookbook. There is no, this is the ingredient to get to here, here, here. If anyone knows me, I definitely didn't follow a cookbook. My life has been everything and anything to kind of got where I've gotten. It's been a lot of blessings. But you're, you're absolutely right, man. It's, it's knowing that, being aware of it, and I commend you because you're so aware of what you can and you can't do. And I start realizing people tend to respect that more than you saying you can do it all because the reality is you might be able to do it all. You don't have the time to do it all, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. being aware of that and saying I can or I can't do it, um, what you've done at, at your age, man, it's phenomenal. Yeah, I think it's, it's important in comparing yourself to others but in a healthy way. And that's always really hard internally, you know, when someone's younger than you and earning more money or they've, you know, I've got a friend, well, I mean, I've got a good friend of mine. It would be really easy to feel like shit, you know, stalking to him. And I posted about him on LinkedIn. He's 29 years old. His friends dared him to do the Mensa test and he said no. And then he said, fine, I'll do it if you pay for it. So Mensa is the top 99.97 IQ in the world. He did the Mensa test and then he got into the triple nine society, which is 99.9. And then, you know, he was born, I believe, in the same year as me in 1991. In 2016, he had a multi-million dollar exit from a learning company that he that he made. He bought a nice house or apartment and he bought a nice Tesla P90D and then started working on some projects on the side. Then he founded a VPN company that was the highest VPN supported on Kickstarter with like 300 grand, exited out of that company, then became the youngest ever CIO at an ASX listed company in Australia, you know, earning a couple hundred grand a year. And then while he was there, he just sold his side hustle for $4.2 million to wow. an esports company and he's working with them now. And on top of this too, he's an amazing painter. He got, he got inducted into the Royal Art Society of Sydney for his painting. It's like realistic watercolor painting. So for someone like that, I think it's really easy to feel like feel like a real piece of shit sitting next to him because it's like, look, come on, man, you got everything. You know, he didn't come from much either. But I feel like it's important to use those people as motivation to do better. And I've, I've even purchased a figurine, and I'll probably talk about this. I purchased a figurine of a popular YouTuber that I will be putting next to my 
next to my computer because I know every time I look at that, I'll say to myself, this person's a similar age to me and they're able to keep on doing what they're doing and they're able to be extremely successful. So there's no reason that I can't do that too. And I want their kind of literal figurine to serve as a reminder to me to keep pushing, not to just feel like crap and say, I could never be as cool as they are. No, I, I love that. And, and, and that's why what I go back to about the patience thing, right? Like that the one guy you're talking about, out of all the people you know in this world, how many people have been able to do what he's done? Out of all people I know, this is the first person I heard that can do what he's done. Yeah. All the people I know in the world, right? Yeah, it's literally unbelievable. Yeah, it's really But at the same time, it's like you said, it's, it's great to do that comparison, but not to the point where it's going to bring you pain because the reality is if it was in a perfect world and you had full control of everything, you'd be just you'd be doing the exact same thing he's doing or better. That's, that's what it mm-hmm. was, right? The only control at that point is what we can and we can't do. And if you, you're trying your best and it's just doing your best, then you just have to continue to stay patient. It's when you start lying to yourself and you know you're lying to yourself and you start getting impatient, right? So if you're honest with yourself and you know that you're driving the track, you know, for every, like you said, for every million people that you know, it's just this one guy. But at the same time, there could be hundreds of thousands of people who, who are like, I'm Chris's age. I started in eSports. He has this great, great, you know, LinkedIn Live podcast. How come that hasn't happened? Right? It's always perspective what we're trying to do. Yeah. And, and the yeah, second yeah. thing I always say this, I say this true to anyone else. You can be Miss Universe. And, if, and the whole world can say you're beautiful. And if you don't believe it, then you're not beautiful. Right? That's not self-love. Mm. Right? The whole world can say you're beautiful. But if you don't think you're beautiful, you're, you're not beautiful. The whole world can say you're the best eSports player. If you hate what you do, you hate what you do. Right? The world can say you're the best athlete. And you don't enjoy it anymore. You don't enjoy it anymore. It has to come from what you really believe in love. And until that happens and that gets fixed, you know, I, I, I now, when I work with people, I now base it on character more so than I ever do skill set. Because if you're someone I want to work with and deal with and who I don't have to worry about my back, no matter how untalented you are, I will take you over any single day. The most talented person who's going to cause the most ruckus. It's never worked out for me in the other way. It's always worked out for me in the first way. And I think that a lot of people have to consider that too, is not losing who you are in your core and being grateful for what you have. And of course that perspective and, it, and I love, and it can be used for motivation and like you, like you're doing it in the proper way, in the proper sense, not in a sense where now you're just kind of degrading yourself, right? You're not doing that. You're saying I can do this. I, I have the ability. I'm the same person. And, and that's why I share my story because you can do exactly what I've done. I didn't do anything special. I just kept doing it. Mm. And it goes with anything, right? Like I, like I was in, there's so many dead end Counter-Strike teams in Australia when I was a competitive player who'll be stuck in amateur and main leagues forever. You know, main, there's the, the structure is kind of like there's 16 teams in pro, then under that there's 16 in main, then under that there's 32 in amateur. And you see teams that are always stuck in the top four of amateur and they never proceed. And I was in one of those teams. And I remember I dropped everything. I dropped my whole team because I found a guy in a deathmatch who was there in a deathmatch server every single day practicing really hard. So I added him on Steam and I sent him a message. And I was like, mate, you've got good aim and I always see you here. And it was kind of like that um, Wolf of Wall Street vibe where I was like, I'll literally drop everything I'm doing and I'll follow you if you accept me right now. And he said, yep. And I copped so much shit from my team for that. And But then we beat them, you know, in overtime, 1916, when I went to this new team, you know, a guy's full of nobodies and, you know, I dropped a 20 bomb, which means you get 20 kills in a game, which is very impressive in, in Counter-Strike. Yeah. So it was all worth it in the end. But I was able to find that team where we went from probably ranked 20th in Australia to fourth in one season because we were absolute nerds and everyone hated us because of that. But we had a very special gel where, you know, my in-game leader was studying um, medical science at the time with a HD average um, remote and he would fall asleep watching Counter-Strike demos every night. 
and he was our main he was our main fragger and he was our orpa and he was our in-game leader and he would teach me the spots to hold and then give me the homework to do and then also be our best player at the same time so you know being able to pick like people like that and just follow them and i've i've done that a few times before and that was the same with luke and that's why i built a good relationship with him because i said luke anything you do i'm in like any anything and it doesn't mean i'm in 100 percent. it doesn't mean i'm can be in more than 10 percent. but whatever you do i'm here to support you because i know that someone like that who's got multiple you know histories of successful experiences can can do something well with me in the future and it was the same with clinton sparks you know i've got to call him after this it was kind of like clint whatever you need i'm in like you've got songs you know sold 75 million records you discovered dj snake you know you're involved with face clan you obviously know what the hell you're doing so anytime that you want my help like i am grateful i'll do it for free just bring me in whatever you do i love that and and, and that's what you talk about you talk about character and your character as a human being and, and going from there it'd be it would be ridiculous of me to look at my instagram followers and say why do i only have 73 subscribers on twitch Hey, I'm grateful for the 73 subscribers. I, and I recognize that I have to ask someone like Burke Anthony, who's 18, and I'm, I'm asking him how to do certain things. And then when it comes to business, he's asking me, right? It, it, I love that. I love that you're doing that. And, and it all comes down to character. Like with Clinton, you know, working with him as much as I as I do, and you know, one of my closest friends, I'll tell you, it's the character. That's what draws you to it. And if you're blessed enough to do that and you keep finding good people with good character, we could totally really make a difference it's when the characters are off in the team or people about themselves that the team completely just implodes and i think a lot of people who are in this industry have to really consider that and who's leading that charge because at the end of the day you're the one who's going to get hurt not them and so you have to be very very careful and thoughtful about what you're trying to do and, and how to do it yeah so i think i think we should wrap it up here but there's definitely room for another podcast in a, in a few months but can you let everyone know i guess two things a what's coming up next for you besides nac with blockchain and maybe any of your other companies and also where can people follow you online sure um you know next up for me you know we'll be speaking at a couple of different places uh online um we got, we got cdc and now in, in in september um a couple of the universities a couple of the mergers that i'll be doing you can find me at davidchenpanda.com. My Instagram is also davidchenpanda. My Twitter is davidchenpanda. My LinkedIn is not. It's just David Chen. But um, there's about a billion David Chen. So if you need to message me, I'll give you the, the email that's there. Um, but, you know, that, that's what we're doing. And, and I'm just grateful for this opportunity and looking forward for all the big things that you're going to be doing, Chris. And, and I'm sure we'll be doing a lot together. So I really want to thank you for your time and having me come here. I'm super excited and honored uh, to be part of this all the way on the other side of the world, or in our case, the better world and during this time. So that means a lot to me. So I want to thank you for that as well. Thanks, David. And thank you to everyone who's listening in, whether you're live now on Twitch, LinkedIn, listening to the audio-only version or the video VOD back on YouTube. We've got plenty more of these podcasts coming out soon. We've got some other esports team owners coming, and I'll also be talking soon with Luke, who I just mentioned before about his successful exit and what he's working on next. So thanks for listening, everyone. Bye for now. Thank you, guys. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links, and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports.gg. Score GG.